Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, all of it, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true, you know. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the Internet featuring articles on writing, the writing life. It's got my thrice weekly blog. You can check that out if you like the kind of things we talk about here. Also, uh, video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Uh, right now, our current issue includes my conversation with Gail Carriger. She's a um, sort of a humorous steampunk romance writer. I guess that would describe her. Fascinating woman. Well, next time, next uh, my next uh, conversation, which is coming up, um, coming, it's going to be up in just a couple days, as a matter of fact, for the the March issue. That's with uh, YA nonfiction writer and ex-broadcaster, Mary Cronk Farrell. Fascinating conversation there as well. So you see, we cover lots of people. Check it out at authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Got a writers conference every year. Good one. Yes, it is. Uh, people signing up now for it. It's in September 2019. So you can go to pnwa.org to sign up for that. Also, I'm going to be doing a fearless writing class uh, there once a month starting March 16th, Saturday, March 16th. This is going to be my first one. Then we're going to do one in May, or excuse me, first one's in Mar- yeah, March, and then April and May. So that's on my uh, website or on pnwa.org, either place. If you want to check that out, if you that's a live class in person. So you got to live. If you're in the Northwest and you want to attend the Fearless Writing class, check it out next week also, next Tuesday, uh, at the Wisdom Soup Meetup. Yes, Wisdom Soup here in Bellevue, uh, Washington. Uh, that's a free meetup. I'm going to be talking about writing as a spiritual practice. That's right. Free talk. Check it out. You can go to Wisdom Soup on uh, meetup.com. Learn all about it. Okay. Hey, enough about me. Let's talk about uh, today's guest. It's a good one. Brad Taylor, the one and only. Brad served in the military for more than 21 years, retiring as a special forces lieutenant colonel. But that's not enough for Brad. No, it's not. In 2011, he published his debut novel, One Rough Man, which was an immediate success and launched a very popular Pike Logan series. There's now more than 12 installments, more than 2 million copies sold, and the series has consistently landed right on the New York Times bestseller list. The most recent is called uh, A Daughter of War. That just came out. You know, when he's not writing, he's still working. He's got a day job. You know what his day job is? He serves as a security consultant on asymmetric threats for various agencies. How's that for a day job? Sounds terrifying. But you know what? Brad's here. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, so okay, Brad, you uh let's uh before we get to Daughter of War and where you are currently in your your writing life, uh as I mentioned in the intro, a uh, big part of your life you spent 20 years in the in the military. I, I assume you just jumped right in after college, is that true? I did. Yeah, I was in ROTC in college and uh, entered the military right after and did you, and so you entered a, you you ended up in special forces as a lieutenant colonel did you go into special forces or did you i don't know how it works i've never been in the military but did you sort of graduate from one thing to the other 
I wanted to go into special forces. That's that was my goal, but you can't go right into special forces. That's just nice. the way it is. So I built my little platform of what I was going to do. I went in the infantry. I went to airborne school, ranger school, all those kind of things. And uh, then after about five years, I got the chance to try out for special forces. And I served there for a few years. And I got a chance to try out for a special mission unit, which is a level above special forces, and made that too. All right. So here's my question for you, Brad. Why? So you wanted special forces from the get-go. You're you're a twenty-year-old kid or whatever, right? You're young. You're doing ROTC, and you've got your eyeballs on special forces. Why? Because here's my because it it sounds great, and when you make that career choice, it seems to me you are choosing to do something for which there is a very real chance every day you go to work you could conceivably be killed. I mean, that's part of the job description, right? Or is that yeah, dramatized, but dramatizing it a little bit? It's dramatizing it because there's every okay. realist. You know, if you look at uh, Navy pilots, one in four Navy pilots will crash a plane sometime. If you look at guys uh-huh. that work on the Metro, you know, those guys get arms chopped off and stuff. So, yeah, uh-huh. the risk is there, but it wasn't – that's not why. I mean, if you're going to go into special forces, you automatically assume that you're invulnerable. So that's, <laughs> okay. so that's the mindset from the get-go. And do you think that's an important mindset? Oh, yeah. I mean, we used to have a saying. That, I mean, when you did the door breach and you had a, a ton of bad guys behind it, if you didn't want to be the number one guy in that stack for the door breach, then you were in the wrong profession. Wow. All right. So this was the sort of person drawn to this work, and you were such a person, and you did it for you ended up a lieutenant colonel 20 years. Um, did you, when, when, the, when the time came, when you retired, were you, like, really ready for retirement, or was it, were you, did you go grudgingly? No, this whole thing was weird for me. Uh, what actually happened was uh, I said that I was going to write a book. In my head, I, I always wanted to write a book. Uh-huh. And I was uh, taking a break from deployments. I was down at the Citadel in Charleston teaching. Uh, away from, I was no longer getting deployed or anything like that. Had a lot of time on my hands, and I wrote a book. And I, I thought it was going to sit on the bedside table. You right. know, it's just something I wanted to do. And the damn thing sold. And then I came out <laughs> on the promotion list for Colonel, and they were asking me to write a second book and do this and do that. And, and then the Army was telling me, you're going to Pakistan for two years. And there was a lot of conflicting things that happened at this time. Um, And it was very, very hard for me to leave the military. It was. It's what I've known for 20 years. And I was like, okay, let me take the leap off of this thing. I turned down the promotion and said, I'll write a second book. Whoa. Oh, so you didn't just, okay, so that's funny. I was imagining you retire. You say, okay, I'm going to crack my knuckles here. What do I want to do with myself? But literally, you retired. You were because you were because you were offered a second career was being dangled in front of you, and you had to make a choice between continuing yeah, the military. I, I mean, right? Wow, my army career was going quite well. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't any, there wasn't any uh, uh, decision like you know I've left the army now I'm going to start writing. It was I wrote and then do I want to leave the army? Wow, that is fascinating, Brad. That is so interesting. And so l- before we get to that moment, and I'm going to come back to that moment because I think it's very interesting. What was the writer doing all the while he's serving in the military? Were you, were you, da- you know, sneaking some time and doing a little writing or just thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it? 
Uh, well, my wife will tell you I'm Walter Mitty, that I always have stories. <laughs> I, I've always driven down a road, and she'll say something, and I'll make some story up right on the bat. And uh, she had, she won't tell you this, but I convinced her that cows in North Carolina had evolved to one leg was lower than the other leg because they had to walk around the mountains. She won't <laughs> say that I convinced her of that, but it was. I convinced her of that. And so I've just always had stories in my head. And uh, I always knew I was going to write. I just, I, I, I didn't take any instruction in writing or anything like that. I just read. Right. I read voraciously. And uh, I just had in the back of my head that one of these days I was going to write a book. But you weren't actually doing it. You were telling stories and you were reading voraciously, but you weren't trying to write little short stories or anything. The first time you sat down to write a no. book was really the first time you had tried to write fiction, period. Yeah, literally. I sat down really? and wrote a book. And I had, uh, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. The first book I wrote, which is One Rough Man, which is the one, yeah. the first book, you know, doubt, I didn't even have chapters. I didn't even know ah. how to do that. I was just like what? one long stream of consciousness. No chapters Seriously? at all. I was like, I don't know how to do this. Somebody's going to tell me how to do this sooner or later, which now I realize that that's retarded. There's no way that anybody's going to tell you to do anything. <laughs> you better figure it out on your own. Did, so you, even though you've been reading these books where you might have noticed, oh, look, there's this thing called a chapter. When you sat down to write, you didn't think, I should make mine look like the thing I just read. You just let it come right I out. I did. Well, no, no, that's not true. I, I mean, I did, but I didn't know how to do it. I just, oh, I, when I wrote the whole thing out, I said to myself, I'll come back later, and that's something you can figure out later. I, I can do, right. you know, if the bullets are flying at you right now, get rid of the bullets, <laughs> and then right. figure out how to clean up the mess. And right. so I was at the get rid of the bullet stage, and I just wrote. I mean, yeah. it was just writing, writing, writing. And then, I, I mean, of it? course, I had to go back and fix it. Yeah. Do you like? You must have loved it. You must have been enjoying it. Oh, yeah. My wife said that I was crazy. I mean, I was writing <laughs> it. Uh, people ask me if I have a, uh, uh, you know, what's on your writing desk. And I don't have a writing desk. I wrote it at uh, gymnastics meets. I wrote at volleyball tournaments. I wrote in the barracks. I wrote oh, everywhere. I, had, I, I carry those. my computer around with me everywhere I go. And I can write, you know, in airport bars, on airplanes. It doesn't matter. I, I just write. When it comes to me, I write. So I right. don't even have a desk in my house. Wow. So you can just, you can just go into that zone. Because, like, I sit right at the same place every day. Like, I close the door. Just the same. I'm totally ritualistic about it. It helps me, you know. But you, it doesn't matter. You're just you're such no. a soldier. No, as a matter you can, of fact, when you, called me, when you first called me, I was sitting on the couch watching Taken, writing the next book. While and you're I writing like, and oh, watching, the time. how can you watch the movie and write at the same time? Doesn't the movie, doesn't the show infiltrate you a little bit? Uh, it, well, it depends on the movie. I only pick a movie where I only see certain scenes. So when That's I get taken, I'm like, I want that one scene. I'll look at that one, and then I go back to the book. Boom, 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 oh, boom. That's funny. All right. Okay, so you just crank this thing out. I, I bet you it took you like two months to write probably the first draft, if that. You mean the first one? The first, the first draft of the first book, yeah. Oh, no, that took – that was uh, probably a year and a half, my entire oh, time did, okay. when I was teaching. All right, so you were popping in when you could. All right, so you managed to sell it. but So that moment – so there you are. You've been living a military – but you're married at this point. Uh, so, and do you have kids? Yeah, two. All yes. right, so you've got a family, but you're mil you've been living the military life, and – then you know well, one of the things that, I was the, part of the the questions was that uh, that was presented. My wife is a 
a uh, military brat, as they call them. She, her father uh-huh. was an Air Force pilot, and she went to four high schools in four years. And I got promoted right. to colonel, and they told me that you're going to move every year for the next four years. And my daughter had just entered high school. And oh. Elaine was like, you know, this is going to be horrible. We're going to go through the same thing I went through. And that was one of the uh, decision points that, that I made to, to make the leap of faith. Literally, it was a right. leap of faith to yeah. say, okay, maybe I can be a writer. Wow. And so, okay, so wow, what a good family, man. That's awesome. And so you do that, but it strikes me, you know, one of the things I, I coach people who want to write, and a lot of them are older people, you know, grownups who have, have had professional lives, and they'd like to, to do this writing thing. And one of the hardest shifts they make is the sort of wide openness of the writer's life. You know, there's the structure is entirely self-imposed, um, unless you've got some kind of contract, but a lot of people don't. Well, you did, but a lot of people don't. And so uh, military right. life strikes I me as what you're pretty, saying. you know what I mean? And a military life strikes me as a pretty uh, structured life. Uh, and so what was it like going from that kind of lifestyle to the writer's lifestyle? Uh, it actually was not that hard. And my life is different. I'm not... You look at the military as in a full metal jacket. My last assignment was in a special mission unit, and that my world was way different from anybody else's world. It was oh, yeah? completely different. And I had uh, to give you an example. I, I actually moved to Charleston and started teaching at the Citadel, and uh, came downstairs in uniform to take my daughter to school. And she said, "Why are you wearing a costume?" <laughs> She'd never seen me in a uniform. Wow. Ever. Really? Uh, so I, uh, I mean, it was just it's it wasn't that big of a shift for me because my last unit in the army was wildly different from any other unit in existence, really. I see. Uh, it was All not, right. uh, you know, we didn't wake up and do reveille and salute the flag and anything like that. You did what you right. wanted to do. I see. All right, and so so it wasn't a huge, uh, wasn't like a, a, a you weren't trying the lights didn't. It's not like the, the roof was taken off your head. It was it was a gentler transition uh, into writing. But well, I, mean, um, I still do I still do security contracting over and over again. So I, I mean, I still keep my pulse on the, the you know what's going on with the world. Right. But uh, the discipline that the military gives you is is definitely there. I mean, when uh, I did my in fact the reason I was doing two books a year was because I kept turning my books in six months early. <laughs> and the reason I was turning my books in six months early was because I had to do contracting for – so if the book was due in December, I'd say, okay, I'm going to do contracts from July to January. I've got to get in in July. And right. I'd turn it in, and the publisher would do cheetah flips and say, holy moly, this guy's six months early. And right. I kept saying, hey, get that book out. Put it out there. What are you doing? What are we waiting on? And so my uh, publisher finally said, okay, smarty pants, why don't we do two a year? Wow. And I went to that, which was uh, – grueling but yeah. uh i managed to do it for at least a little bit of time <laughs> that's 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 tough you're just kind of writing all the time then there's really no time for anything yeah, else if you're, actually, doing. you're absolutely right you i was locked in a room and he actually called me and said uh ben severs my editor and called me and said uh hey we uh we thinking about i was ring of fire which is i can't remember now three books ago whatever <laughs> um we're thinking about going to one book a year again because you're cannibalizing your own sales with uh, this two book a year thing. Yeah. And I was looking at my computer screen at that time thinking, I'm not going to get this book done. 
There's no way. I was just so burned out. I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is crushing me. And because wow. uh, I do book research trips, I go overseas to if I can get on the ground, I'll go on the ground. And yeah. for Ring of Fire, we went all over, you know, Spain and Morocco and everywhere to see this. And he said that uh, Celestine thinks we need to go to one book a year. And I was like, yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> all right. So the the Pike Logan series, I mean, it's a suspense. It's, it's gripping stuff. I, yeah, I've read a lot of suspense writers since I started doing these interviews. Um, it seems to me, given your background, when you're balancing writing, you know, page turning stories and you balance that with what the stuff that the, the, what you know is realistically true about the world, what you know, experientially about, about um, security and, and warfare and so on. How much do you try and balance realism versus keeping the story just cooking? I'll tell you the truth. The, the, the heart of any story is the characters. And, and somebody actually accused me of writing a plot-driven book. I'm using air quotes in my head right now. Right. You know, right. he writes plot-driven books, and I'm like, no, I don't. It's, the characters are what matters. That's what matters in any book. I don't care if you're writing romance. I don't care if you're writing uh, uh, police procedural. I don't care if you're writing my books, military right. thrillers. It's the characters that matter. I mean, if a car yeah. bomb, the terrorist is going to put a car bomb in a parking lot, and there's nobody around it, nobody cares. Right. They only care because somebody's going to get blown up. And they only right. care because you've created a character that matters to them. And so for right. me, it's the characters. It's definitely um, – and that's on the uh, antagonist and protagonist side. You, sure. I, I don't – you know, I, you read books, that the, the antagonist is, you know, some Dr. Evil guy that just runs around doing evil shit. Or I'm sorry. Right. I'm probably sure that's okay. It's okay. You can do that here. It's the internet. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, they aren't. I've met those guys. I have sat across the table from guys that were blowing up American uh, service members, and they were not Dr. Evil. They had a right. conviction. They thought they were right. There was a right. reason they were doing it. And that's if you right. can capture that, then you really capture the reader. And you know what it is? that's what I try to do. Everybody in the world is the hero of their story. Everybody. You know, I mean, Hitler woke up every day thinking he was making the world a better place exactly. in his own, exactly. know, in his own way. Why would he do it otherwise? Yeah. You know? So if you can capture that, if you can show the reader, okay, even when you're trying to describe that this guy is doing it for the wrong reasons and he's a bad guy, the reader yeah. will assimilate that he is, okay, he's not doing it because he's just, you know, Hannibal Lecter. He's doing it because... Right. He thinks it's the right thing to do, which is the hardest yeah. thing to do in the books. And I'm, I'm writing my book right now uh, with a bunch of Russians from Wagner that you know, those guys think they're doing the right thing. Well, right. they're not doing the right thing, and now Pike's going against them. Right. And so how long – let me – so you write – so 2011, you write One Rough Man. How long did it take you to figure out – from what you're describing, you just, you just love stories. You had this thing to tell, and you dove in and started doing it. But how long did it take you to figure out that? Because I know why they say you wrote, they write, you write plot-driven novels is because you have plots that are easily recognizable, and and probably the reader spends a lot of time saying, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. Geez, I hope this doesn't happen. This that's, we think of that as plot-driven, but I agree with you 100% that any good story is driven by the character. It has to be. I don't know how you make it not be. But how long did it take you to figure that out? Like, when do you remember when a kind of light went off in your head? Like, oh, this is really about the characters, not just what's happening. 
<laughs> is that a setup question? No, it's not. I'm wondering when did you figure like did, did you okay. go in knowing that? I figured out the first aha moment. The, the first book. I mean, the first book. I what I wanted to do was write a story of redemption. I didn't. Uh-huh. I, I didn't want to write a story of counterterrorism. I wanted to write a story of redemption. Uh-huh. And um, so Pike was there. He was in my head all the time. There's going to be a story of redemption. If 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 I'd have been a police officer, Pike would have been a cop. If I'd have been right. a priest, Jennifer would have been a nun. Right. I happen to be a counter-terrorist commando, and so he that's what he ended up being. Right. From the day one typing on the keyboard, it was not uh, – it was – this is a story of redemption. I'm writing a story of redemption, and that's the end of it. And wow. so that's – it never was a question with me. That's great. So you just came in knowing I, you wanted that – what I call – what I think of as the emotional arc, the, the, the emotional um, exactly. movement that's of exactly the character. Right. Through, yeah, so you were that's too, exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So you were really dialed in. That's pretty. You have you had a natural talent for it. It sounds like. And now and and so okay. So since one rough man, we're we're eleven books later now. What? How has thirteen the, books later? I hate to correct thir- you, but I'm books finally going to do it. Thirteen. Oh yeah, thirteen. Okay, thirteen books later. Um, what uh, what's changed the most for you as, as a writer? How how have you grown or changed the most? Do you think? I, you know, honestly, I've learned to write. Uh, the uh-huh. the uh, craft of writing is a hard thing to do. And yeah. uh, people ask me, you know, you know, how'd you learn to write? And honestly, I didn't learn to write. I learned to, to write what my editor wanted to see. And he happened to be a smart guy. <laughs> right. And now, I mean, I know uh, it's, it's mechanics, really. Uh, uh-huh. If I write something that, uh, um, you know, you got to go through, you got to slog through some stuff that backstory things that, gets people into the frame of what's going on, but you've got to when right. you slog through the backstory stuff. You've got to make it interesting. You can't just let them. I mean, the, the reader will get bored if he's just reading a, a laundry list of crap. So yep. you, now you have to craft something. Why is this backstory here? I need to include, uh, you know, to include the backstory, but I need to include it in the way that the reader wants to keep reading. Yeah. And I've gotten really good at that. Uh, because oh, yeah? all the you know when you when you write the stories that I write, which span the globe, um, yeah. and you've got to have a reason for this guy's here and that guy's there and this guy's doing this, but you can't just say you know Pike picked up a key and found out the solution to everything, and this guy right. just found out the bad way. You know, so you've got to create a story. They're all mini stories. There's a mini story in all the books, and I, I actually write short short stories that. Uh, are basically the mini stories inside this. So this guy can do, uh, if I'm going to, when I want to explain one small thing, which is the most painful thing of writing, I'm doing it right now. When you called me on the phone, I was doing it. Uh, What were you doing? I've got to make a reason for this guy to do X. And so now it's a mini story. And uh, that's basically what I've, the most thing I've learned is that, you want the reader to keep turning the pages. And at the other day, I'll be honest with you, I'm a reader. That's what I do. I, uh-huh. I don't write. I read. And when I read my stuff, if I hit a point where I say, I don't want to read this anymore, I say to myself, you screwed up. Fix it. All right. So you're able to look at your stuff. Because I remember there's a novelist named Alice Hoffman. I really like her stuff. And I did a she, I interviewed her years ago, and I thought she had great endings. She was really good at ending her books. And I said, talk to me about rewriting and talk to me about endings. And she said, for her, the challenge with rewriting was to be able to pick up your book and read it like it's not yours. Read it like you're just a reader. 
because it's, you know, perhaps you don't go through this, but it's, one, it's easy to look at your stuff that you've written through different eyes than you would a book you picked up off the shelf because you, your ego can get tied up in it. But you can have a distance when you sit down to read it where you don't go through that. You're just able to read it sort of like a reader. Definitely. I, I, I completely agree with her. I yeah. can pick up my stuff and I'll let it sit for a couple of days and read it. And if yeah. I have an visceral emotion with like Daughter of War, the book that uh, just came out, there's yeah. parts of that book where I can read it. I have read it. I mean, like a thousand times when I'm trying yeah. to get inspiration for the book I'm reading right now, I'll pull out that chapter and read it and say really? that thing hits the mark. That thing yeah. is on the money. It is it. If I get a visceral reaction from it, having written it, and having yeah. read it a thousand times and still get a reaction, I know a new reader will as well. I, That's great. I completely agree with her. Wow, what a great skill to have. It's one I try to teach my students all the time, and it's hard. A lot of them read it, and they're not reading it. They're thinking about what people will think of it when they read it. They're not just having the experience. They can't distance themselves from it, and it's very hard for them. I don't know, cause it sounds like you've yeah, never gone I, through I, that. I've actually had uh, people ask me that question, I'm, and I guess it's just me. I don't know the difference yeah. because when I read what I've written, I can read a book by uh, Nelson DeMille or whoever, and right. I, I still see what they were saying. And I, I, you know, I read read books all the time, and I read my book, and when I get to a point, I'll go through it and say, is this hitting what I want? And now, make no mistake, I'm, I'm critically looking at you know, things as small as, did you put a paragraph break in the wrong spot? Is this right. going to make it this, you know, slow down the pace? Is this going to do this? Is this going to do that? Right. But when I get to the point where I'm really flowing and I read it and I know it's working, I can see it. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's a good skill to have. It's a good skill to have. And so do you ever, do you go out and do promotional stuff? Do you go out and talk to your readers at all? Or is it, do you, have you found it's not useful for you? Oh no! <laughs> Hell no! I go on book tours every year. I, I do. Oh, you do do it. Anybody? Okay. I get, in fact, I mean, I get uh, invites all the time. I just got one invite from Charleston. I said, "Yeah, hell yeah, I'll go out there and talk to you people." You <laughs> so, like it? No, I love it. There's nothing better than seeing a reader that's read your book. I mean, <laughs> that's validation. Because Lord that's knows right. you get enough emails that say your book sucks. <laughs> so, uh, do you? <laughs> Well, yeah, you get. I mean, I get a lot of emails. That probably ninety percent are "I loved your book," but you get ten percent yeah. that are just saying, you know, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You're an idiot. So. Right? Isn't it, isn't it amazing that someone takes the time to like, okay, I'm going to find this guy's email and I'm going to sit down I'll and I'm going to tell, tell you him. This. <laughs> Jesus, what? I, you are a hundred percent correct. <laughs> I look at my wife and say, this guy actually took the time out of his day. Well, yeah. for uh, give you an example, for um, uh, what was it? Ring of Fire. So Ring of Fire, I went all over the world. I mean, I did more research than you could possibly imagine. I went to Gibraltar, went to France, went to everywhere. Right. And uh, I had a, a scene in there where there was a um, shipping container, and it was going to crash. And I went to the port of Algeciras and looked at that. And um, as I was there, I created this scene. So in the scene the shipping container hits the ground and the rivets pop out. And I get this email from a guy from Australia who is just visceral about how there are no rivets in shipping containers and I quit reading your book and I threw it down and you're an idiot. <laughs> like, holy moly. 
After <laughs> all the that ribbons. Work, that's what got you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know. And I was actually uh, I was in Memphis, Tennessee um, two weeks ago doing a sign with Mark Greeny, uh, a good friend of mine who writes a Rayman uh-huh. series, which I'll promote because they're really good books. But right. uh, he was like, you're kidding. So we pulled into a parking lot, and there was a shipping container, and he said, I don't see any rivets. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, you got me. <laughs> All right, well, I hope that guy's happy. Jeez, he must know his shipping containers pretty well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got an area of expertise. Um, well, all right, well, Brad, very interesting guy, uh, as I suspected you would be. This has been a fast conversation, but I'm not quite done with you yet. I got one more question. Uh, before I ask it, if people want to learn about Brad Taylor and where they can see him, and if they want to write him an angry letter or even a praiseful letter, tell them they love him, what's the best way to find out? Where, where can they find you? They can go to uh, bradtaylorbooks.com. They, actually, there's an excerpt for every single book I've written, and uh, there's a contact page there, and people use it religiously. <laughs> That's great. Okay, bradtaylor.com. Go there, people. Books are available where all fine books are sold, of course. But if you want to learn more about them, go to bradtaylor.com. All right, Brad, I got one more question for you. What I want you to do is finish this sentence. Writing has taught you anything. It's taught you what? Uh, I'll be honest with you. It's taught me discipline. I thought I knew discipline in the Army. uh, (laughs) But when somebody tells you to wake up and somebody tells you to be here at this time and somebody tells you to be there at that time, that's not discipline. It's discipline is waking up and writing. You have got to basically get behind the keyboard, get off the internet, get off the TV and write. I love it. I'm good at Brad. I talk to writers all the time and I'm going to take that little nubbit nuglet you just gave me and I'm going to use it again and again that the guy who spent 20 years in the military didn't really learn discipline until he had to write a book. That is fantastic. That is awesome. It's true. Uh, well, I, I, hey, I believe you. There's nothing like being your own boss to have to learn what discipline really is. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Well, listen, it's been great talking to you. Congratulations on all your success. This is scary stuff. It scared the bejesus out of me, daughter of war. It made me not want to leave my house, which I think is what your point was. So congratulations on, uh, on doing the work, and uh, I, I look forward to your next one. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. All right, take it easy. Discipline, people, it's true. Self-discipline. Listen, I'll be back next week. Yes, I will. Talking to another fabulous writer. Until then, I want to, oh, I want to thank my fabulous producer, Mr. R.J. Jeffries. Awesome as always. And uh, thanks to all of you out there. Go do something you love. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.